I'll be honest. If you are already having a rough day, this may not be the episode for you, because we are going to talk about why you are not smart, you are not unique, and why you are very sinful. Hey everyone, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of life so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And in this episode, I just want to keep the conversation rolling from last week, where we discussed why it's okay that we don't understand God and why we can still rest in Him. Now, last week is just a quick summary. We spent a lot of time focusing on the ways that we diminish God in order to understand Him better. We talked about how we compromise the majesty of God in order to have an answer for everything about him that makes us maybe even slightly uncomfortable. We ended with the reality that our worship of God does not require us to fully understand him, but to have faith in him. Again, clarifying that faith is not this blind trust, it's not this feel-good thing, but it's something that is based on our experience, and our understanding. We trust God because he's proven himself to be trustworthy. In this episode, I want to just continue that thinking by examining three reasons why ultimately we can't understand God and why even understanding that a lot of us will not stop trying to bring him down and analyze him and understand him. Following that discussion, I want to just kind of close out everything with some encouragement and a call to what to do from here. Where do we go after realizing that we do pull God down and that there are things that we can't understand? How do we live a life with a God who is so mysterious? So to lay the foundation for this discussion, I want to say something that I'm always going to say and I'll keep saying. When we're trying to understand truth and especially truth about God. We know that we get it from God's word. It's not about our feelings. It's not about our experiences or what we think God has whispered to us. We know truth because God has revealed truth in his word. And even these things that we have discussed about God, how he is unique, how he is perfectly balanced in all his attributes, how he is eternal, how he is one God in three persons— And all these things that we can't fully and genuinely understand without diminishing who he is in order to explain it. God's word does give us answers to those things. And by that, I mean that the Bible does reveal these truths about God. But I want us to realize that just because the Bible gives us an answer that tells us who God is or how he is does not mean that we are going to understand it. Because the Bible gives us truth, but it doesn't always give us an explanation. And we're going to discuss in this episode kind of why we need to understand that difference between what we see versus what we can understand. And the big thing that I'm always saying is that we need to remember that the Bible is not a rule book. It's not a reference. It's not a science textbook. In parts, it can be a history textbook because it does reveal actual history. But primarily, God did not give us the Bible to just answer all our questions, to teach us everything. The Bible is primarily a revelation. It is God's revealing. What does it reveal? If you follow the narrative, if you trace the thread from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is always pointing to one specific thing, and that is his plan of redemption for our fallen human race. 
It is how God created things perfectly, how we fell into sin, how God has been slowly building towards the revelation and coming of Jesus Christ, where God would punish our sin on him, where Jesus Christ would take our place under his wrath so that there would be no wrath left for us and that we can have forgiveness of our sin through Jesus Christ because that that slate, that debt has been wiped clean on the cross because of the perfect life that Jesus Christ lived only for him to go and be brutalized and killed for ultimately crimes that he did not do, but that we are guilty of and we deserve the punishment for. And from there, as we go on through, we see God revealing how we live our lives now as people of Jesus Christ. And it concludes with seeing that Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ gets the victory and what our eternity is going to look like as we get to live with God forever in a sinless, perfect world with our new glorified bodies, just living and loving our God forever. That is what the Bible is pointing us to. But in the midst of that, we learn about who God is, who Jesus Christ is, how we get saved, how we live our lives. We see that revealed by how things are revealed and discussed and shown to us. And so we need to very much understand that, that we can't just go to Appendix C, Paragraph 7, Sentence 2 to get the exact perfect answer that we want. A lot of the truth that we understand is pulled out of what God has revealed and understanding God based on the interactions with Israel, based on his actions throughout all of history and things like that. And so understanding that, I want to just share three problems that we as human beings are going to run into when it comes to trying to understand this God who has revealed himself through his perfect word. Now, the first two, like I said, are going to be why we can't understand everything, why it is impossible for us, and why we need to have a good and accurate measure of ourselves and who we are. And then the third thing I want to talk about is simply why, even understanding that we can't, we're probably not going to learn, and we're still going to try to put God in a box. And I want us to just really look at why we struggle so very much to trust and worship a God who is so different and in certain aspects of him so unknowable. Now, the first problem that we run into is that we don't really understand our true capacity for understanding. Because we think as human beings that, you know, you know, we've lived 30, 40, 50 years on this earth and we've got a good measure on things. We don't understand everything. There are certain areas where we see that we're weak or we're blind, but we can we can understand 99% of things if given enough time. We have the capacity, we have the power, we have the intelligence to really be able to have a handle on things. And we'll even say, you know, I've got it figured out. Those people don't. I've got it figured out so much better than they do. They could learn so much from me. And so we... We just make this assumption that if God would just reveal things, we would we would get it. We would understand the reality that we need to understand is that we as human beings would be lucky to understand even one percent of the things in the universe. There is so much that we just do not know. So no matter how intelligent we think we are, no matter how wise or how much we think we have to offer people and and how much we think we've got it just together, 
the reality is this isn't just a matter of intelligence. This is just the matter of us only having lived a certain number of decades on this earth and to think that we in our narrow experience and in our narrow understanding are remotely capable of contributing anything is at times laughable. That's not to say that people aren't valuable and that our experiences don't matter, of course, because God calls us to serve people through our experiences, through our understanding that we have, to build one another up, to weep with those who weep, to serve God in the ways that he has called us to. So I'm not getting at this idea that we're all just worthless and it's for nothing. But here's how it really is. When we are especially trying to understand God, when we're trying to understand the universe that he has created, the laws that he has created, both in terms of his laws for holiness and the actual laws of the physical universe, when we're trying to break down and understand all these things, we think that we've got it mostly right. We think that we've got these clever explanations and that we are just so smart that we can understand it. But from God's perspective, here is what is really going on. We are two-year-olds trying to explain and understand the internal combustion engine of a car. Now, I'm 36 years old. I still don't fully understand how an internal combustion engine works. I have a three-year-old daughter who is, I would say, fairly intelligent, and yet I would not even remotely try to assume that she is going to be able to explain to me how a car's engine works. And so when we're sitting here and we're trying to explain this infinite God and we're trying to, to bring him down into this box and say, ah, here is what I know because I am so smart. I am so intelligent. Here's what I've learned from a bunch of Google searches. And we try to explain God and we try to control him. And we try to say, here is precisely how he works. Ultimately, what we are is we are two-year-olds saying, ah, I see the car goes vroom, vroom. It's got tires that spin around. And we feel so smart to have come to that conclusion and to have just figured everything out. When in reality, we are not even close to breaching even 1% of how that car works. We are nowhere near close to fully understanding God in such a way that we should feel any sort of pride within ourselves or feel good that we have got it all figured out or that we're mostly arrived at a conclusion to who God is and how he works. God is so far beyond us. He is so intricate, so unique that whatever we think we know about him, we can understand some things, right? A two-year-old can see that a car goes. And a two-year-old can even, it can, we can even explain to a two-year-old how an engine basically works. And they can have somewhat of a functional understanding about you put the gas in and things happen and things move. They can get a very base level understanding, but it is impossible for them to get a full and accurate understanding of how an engine genuinely works at a mechanical level, at an intelligent level that they could understand it and explain it to others or even recreate how it works on their own. So our first problem is that we need to have a good measure of our true capacity to understand God. And when we understand our true capacity, then we're going to be less frustrated at not understanding him because it's no longer a problem of, I am so smart, I know I can understand God. So for you to tell me that I can't, Either God is not trustworthy or I just need to have a better understanding. I need to control and manipulate and work harder and then I'll be able to understand God. But when we realize how limited we are in our intelligence and in our understanding, then it makes sense why we just can't understand God. 
even if we've been on this earth for 60 years. I mean, really think about that. Let's say you've been on the earth for 60 years. Let's ignore the first, let's say, 15 years because you were young, you were dumb, and you didn't know a whole lot. I think we can all, who are listening to this, appreciate the fact that before the age of like 15, there wasn't a whole lot worthwhile going on besides learning the basics of how not to die on this earth. So you're 60 years old, minus 15 years for learning the basics, how to walk, talk, and not drink poison. That gives us just 45 years of time that we've had to truly think about the reality of the universe, to study, to understand. Now, for a lot of people, whenever you were saved, even within those 45 years, you may not have even been trying to understand God. Maybe it's only in the last, say, 20 years. 30 years that you've truly been saved or truly trying to serve and understand the truth of the Bible and this Christian life and understanding the things about God. Do we really think that in 30 years of actively trying to understand God, that we will have had it figured out? I mean, look how long it took throughout history, you know, inventions and understandings about just simple things about science, how long it took people to come to an understanding about that. And we think that in 30 years, we've really got it understood Let's really ask ourselves if we are that clever, that intelligent, that capable of understanding an infinite God in such a short span of time. And the younger you are or the less time you spent actively trying to learn the things of God, the more ridiculous it is to assume that we really do finally, as we sit here today, have a handle on who God is. So again, problem number one. We need to understand our true capacity. Problem number two is not only do we need to understand ourselves, but we need to understand what we mean by God's uniqueness. A reminder of the verse we talked about last week, Exodus 15, 11, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. That's a question. And the answer is no one. No one is like God because God is unique, not that he is unique and that he's more powerful than us, but everything in creation is created by God. God did not make a copy of himself. God is a complete and unique other to anything that we are. The difference is so stark. It'd be like saying that because we have made a little person out of Play-Doh, that that person made out of Play-Doh is just like us and that we can relate to it significantly. No, despite any similarities it may have to a humanoid form, we are so different from what we have created that we can't really even try to make comparisons about how it is that we think, how our circulatory system works, how we move. We can't try to compare ourselves to something that is somewhat similar to us, but is ultimately so different from us because it's what we have made. And all of creation is similar. There is nothing in the entire created universe that is like God. Now you might think, oh yeah, well, sure, I get that, but we don't. Because here's the thing, when we try to understand God without keeping his uniqueness in mind, we forget the fact that everything we understand is based on past experience. We relate truth we are seeing now with what we have encountered in the past. Think of the example we talked about last week with how people try to explain God as Trinity. What do they do? What do we always do? We compare it to something in our world. We compare it and we say, oh, God is like a man who is a father, son, and an employee. 
He's like water in that he can be liquid, solid, and gas. He's like you know the sun, where we've got the sun itself, but then that creates light and heat. We have all these ways that we want to understand God. And that's why I talk about how whenever we try to explain these unique aspects of him, we bring him down to our level. We break him away from his elevation above us and put him at our level and say, look, I can control this. I can understand this because I can relate God to something within his creation. But then what we end up doing is we remove God's uniqueness. We say he is this thing that he has created. He is just like me in that, you know, I am body, soul, and spirit. And so that's how God is. And if you haven't been paying attention for the past five weeks, that just doesn't work. We can't explain God by saying that he is like a thing that he has created. So when we're understanding his eternality, the fact that he has no beginning, the moment that we try to explain it, we have to rely on something we already understand to compare him to. And the moment we do that, we take God who exists outside of our time-bound reality, and we bring him down here with us and say, God, I'm going to fit you into this mold because this is how I can explain you. And we don't let God just be who he is. We need to bring him down into something that we are comfortable with. So let me give you an example that I've always found fascinating about how whenever we encounter something we don't understand, how we try to relate it to a thing that we understand. We base it on our experiences and assume that it is just a continuation of what we've already been learning. So there is this group called the Cargo Cult. Cargo meaning, you know, the stuff in airplanes and things like that. They got this name for a very interesting reason. So they are this very remote tribe that has never had interaction with other civilization. One day, they see this giant bird in the sky, and it lays an egg of some sort, or it drops off a gift. So a it, it was an airplane, from our understanding. It was an airplane, and it was dropping off goods and supplies and things like that. They open it up, and it's got all these wonderful gifts. Well, they have no idea what's going on. They have no concept of a modern airplane, of humanitarian efforts, of how human beings created and packaged all this stuff together. So what did they do? They related it to what they already knew. They assumed, oh, the gods have sent a giant bird to deliver us gifts. And so, as this, as the story goes, they then created images of this bird trying to curry favor with this god so that it would deliver gifts to them again. And we see they had, they had no idea... To, what they were doing. They had no idea what was actually happening. They were simply trying to live out their own understanding and say, oh, this lines up with what I've already learned about reality. So here is what it must be. Here's what must be happening with this giant thing flying with the gifts that it has delivered. And so they took the complexity of an airplane and the motivations of human beings bringing humanitarian aid to this remote tribe And they brought it down to a level that they could understand and explain. And as we see, a level that they could control. And we do that same thing with God. We, we encounter this God at whatever point in our life. And we say, Hmm, I need to understand this. I need to explain this away. How can I relate God to what I already know? And if we can't, then we will get on Google because let's be realistic. Very few of us actually study. We just go on Google to find quick, easy answers and say, aha, I've done my research. 
so we do our quote-unquote research on Google, someone gives us an easy answer that we can understand and say, yeah, I get that because that's similar to something I already know and understand. And so we rest in the fact, not that God is who he says he is, but we rest and say, okay, I've got God figured out, I'm good to go. And in doing that, we strip him of his uniqueness, bring him into his own creation and say, God, you have to be like these things that you have created. And that is the only way that I'm going to be comfortable with who you are. Now, what is our real problem? Why do we overestimate our capacity for understanding? Why do we insist on bringing God down to a level that we can understand? Why, like we talked about in the last episode, do we create these false gods and create ideas of God that we are comfortable with or that we can control or manipulate or that can serve us? What is our real problem? Why are we really doing this? Now, I know if you have been around this podcast for a while, you're probably thinking, oh, it's Ray. He's talking about a real problem. He's going to say it's our pride. Well, you're right. Well done. Because it is our pride. Ultimately, the reason that we struggle so much with the reality of who God is, is that it violates our pride. Because what do we do? Why do we doubt? Why do we need answers for things that we should we should accept that we can't understand? Because we can't accept what we don't understand. We will not believe a thing that we don't fully get in our understanding because we assume that we are so smart and so knowledgeable that we should be able to understand God. We need to control God in such a way that he will serve our needs, that we don't have to be uncomfortable, that we don't have to say and honestly admit that, you know, there's this thing that the Bible teaches about God that I'm uncomfortable with, but I trust that it's true. For a lot of people, that's, you know, God's wrath, his judgment. It's what he did to Jesus Christ on the cross. There are a lot of things about God that should make us uncomfortable. And if they don't, then either we are very wise and very humble, or it's because we've confined God and manipulated our understanding of him in such a way that we don't have to deal with those uncomfortable things. And so in our pride, we are willing to obey God. We're willing to worship God as long as he makes sense to us, as long as we can get on board and and fully understand all these aspects that we have questions on. And how do we do that? Like we talked about, we will pull God down and try to understand him. And we will keep pulling him down farther and farther until we've pulled him down to a point that we are comfortable with, that we can say, yes, I don't need to feel foolish. I don't need to live in doubt because I've got it figured out. Good job, me. And we pat ourselves on the back and we go on about our business thinking that we've got this God figured out and now we can worship him whenever we need him. But ultimately, what do we do? We turn that into a false God. All of us are going to worship a flawed understanding of God. I said that last week. We are not going to have a perfect understanding of God. Even if we accept that there are things about him we don't understand, I would be amazed to find someone who fully understands God as perfectly as a human being can. So that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is because we don't like God for who he is. We don't like a certain aspect of God. We purposely, whether we admit it or not, we purposely drag him down to our sinful, wretched, broken, weak, ignorant level and say, okay, God, now that I've got you down here, now that I can see you on my level, now I'll trust you. Now I will obey you. 
But depending on how far we're pulling him down, we aren't trusting and obeying a true God as revealed in the Bible. We are living for a false idol that we have created to ultimately serve our prideful, greedy purposes. And that is not what God's word commands. Christ tells us to worship God in spirit and truth, not in emotion or in reason and in assumptions or desires. We worship him in spirit. We worship him in truth because God is the God of truth. And the moment we try to compromise that is the moment that we strip God of his truth and make him fit within what we want truth to be. Instead, we are called to worship God for who he is, not what we want him to be. And here's the reality. If we can all agree that God is worthy of our worship, and I hope if you're listening to this, you would agree, yes, God is worthy of worship. Then here's the reality. God is worthy of worship. And even those confusing or unknowable or frustrating or terrifying things about God, even those are worthy of worship because they are a part of who he is, his wrath and his love, his eternalness, him being Trinity in a way that we can't understand. Everything about God is worthy of worship because God is who he is. And so our worship requires us to have faith, not understanding. We need to have faith that God is who he says he is, even if we can't fully explain it, even if we can't fully understand him. He is worthy of worship and we have faith that he is who he says he is. Now, the next logical question is how? How do we recognize these three problems in that we overinflate our intelligence and capacity to understand, that we don't respect and honor and love God's uniqueness, and ultimately we do all of this out of our own pride and out of our own sinful hearts? How do we not just recognize this, but not let it impact how we view God? How do we remain humble, understanding how prideful we are? How do we elevate God when we are so tempted to drag him down? And how do we trust those things that are difficult or believe that even though we can't understand it, we still know that it's true about God? Well, we talked about it last week. It's, it's all about what faith really is. And that is that we know that God has proven himself over and over again. It's not that God is completely unknowable. He's not this mysterious force. He has revealed so much truth in his word. And the more we study it, the more we see God coming out and revealing his heart, who he truly is, what he's truly about, all his aspects, how they work perfectly together. There is so much about God that we can know. And he's revealed so much and he's made it so clear to us that those things that we can know will cover the things that we can't. So we can sit there and we can be frustrated and we can say, God, I don't get how you can be loving of your creation, how you can have all the power, how there is nothing on earth that can stop you from doing what you want to do. And yet, despite being all powerful and all loving, you choose purposely not to stop evil. We may never fully understand that. We may have answers. We may get close to understanding it, but because we are we are like pendulums. We swing so far in one way or the other that if it was us, we say, oh, I would immediately kill all the pedophiles, all the rapists, all the murderers. I would wipe everyone out. And when God doesn't perform like we think he should, when we're, when we say, God, I would do this so much better than you, 
We know that we have an issue. We know that we are elevating ourselves over God. But what we can know about God is that he has proven his love. He showed his love in sending Jesus Christ to die for our sin. And that's not some flippant thing. God himself, one person of the Trinity, came down into the creation that he created. We see in, I want to say Colossians, I'm going off script here if you can't tell, but I believe it's in Colossians, it talks about how Jesus Christ holds all things together and that all of the earth belongs to him. And yet, what did Christ do? He came down, took the form of a human being, lived on earth with us, lived perfectly in spite of all the sin around him. He was disrespected, mocked, doubted. He went to the cross. He was falsely accused and killed by the very people he created. We might even believe that some of the people that accused him and mistreated him are the ones that he paid the price of their sin for. God did all of that for us. That is love. And if we know that God loves that much, then when we see evil in the world, when we question God, how can you do this? How could you let this happen to me? We can trust that our God is perfect and loving and all-powerful and that it was part of his perfect plan not to intervene, that he allows things to happen for a reason. And we can be uncomfortable with that. Again, this isn't about just blindly saying, no, it's all good. We can struggle, but we can also trust. We see another idea of how God has proven himself in the past in what he would call Israel to do. So if you read the Old Testament, when God would do something major for Israel, he would call them to build altars. You know, they would pile up stones or things like that. Now, why would God do that? He would tell them to set it as a memorial so that they could look back and remember what God had done for them. Why? Because we humans are very narrow-minded. We are very short-sighted. So God can come through and he can reveal himself and prove himself in a major way. But six months, a year from then, we're going to forget. That's going to wear off. And if we are not remembering how God has been true in the past, it's easy for us to doubt how he's going to be true in the present. And so again, just like Israel builds those altars, we need to look back. I'm not saying actually build altars and have, you know, a bunch of piles of stones in your yard, but you know, we can either physically or just mentally, we can have these own our own altars, our own memorials set up for ways that God has proven himself, both in big ways and even in small ways. We can know that God has proven himself so that when we face those things that we can't know, that we can't understand, we can look back and say, I don't understand this now, but God has proven in the past that he is who he says he is. He is real. He is loving. He has forgiven me. And so I can't understand this now, but I can rest. I can have faith. I can trust that he is who he says he is because he has never failed in the past. He's not going to fail right now. So now I'd like to just wrap up this discussion on how we balance the knowable things of God with the unknowable things. How do we live with this reality? Because it's all fine and good to make it a mental exercise. But it's when it impacts our daily lives that this is truly going to matter to us. So first, the unknowable. Isaiah 55 verses 8 to 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So again, 
This is just that image I said of us creating a little person made out of Play-Doh. We are just as we are so far beyond what that little Play-Doh creation is. God is so far beyond what his own creation is. No matter how complex we are, no matter how intelligent God allows us to be, no matter how much wisdom he grants us, we are nowhere close to understanding God. And it's that unknowableness, it's that difference, it's that uniqueness that makes him God in the first place. Because again, God is not just a super version of a human. We so badly want to just think that he is like us if we were perfect, if we were all powerful, if we knew everything. But that's not who God is, and that is not how he has revealed himself in his word. God clearly shows that he is so unique that he is unexplainable. He is unexplainable through our experience because we have not encountered anything in this world that is anything like God. There is no one like him. His thoughts are beyond us. His ways are beyond us. The heavens and the earth are so far detached from one another, or they are so far different or so far removed that they're not just one is a better version of another, but they are wholly and uniquely different. And so we accept and we know and we trust that yes, God is beyond us. He is perfect. He is holy. He is unique. But we can't just shrug our shoulders and say, okay, I guess I just can't understand the things about God. Because there are sections within Christianity that do that, that all they do is say, oh, God is just so mysterious. He's so unknowable. We just can't know anything about him. That is what, you know, things like uh, Greek Orthodoxy is all about or Eastern Orthodox. It's all about this mystery, this unknowableness. But that's not how God exists. He doesn't just exist as this force that we can't possibly comprehend. We can't put him in a box, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't reveal himself to us. Instead, we need to find that balance between what we cannot know about God while still knowing that there is so much to know about God and that he has revealed so much to his limited, finite weak, ignorant creation so that we can trust him, so that we can love and worship him and serve him. Uh, Think about 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. What do we see here? We have a means of knowing truth. We have God's word, and it reveals so much about him. And it's not just that we have a Bible, but that God calls us to be responsible in how we handle the truth that he has revealed. He calls us to be responsible, to be accountable for what we do with what he has revealed to us. Because there is, again, so much we can know. And if we are just sitting here just saying, oh, you know, the Bible's nice, the Bible's there for when I need it, or I just don't understand it. If we are not treasuring and cherishing this means of knowing God that he has given us, then we are being irresponsible. We are not being a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. We do need to be ashamed if we are not seeking truth in God's word and saying, what has God revealed? What can we know? And how can I live in light of what God has shown about who he is? Because you may remember all the way back in my episode about do Christians need theology? That is how I define theology. As Christians, we don't want to see theology as just this brain exercise where we learn things and are really smart and can answer Bible trivia. Instead, genuine theology, the study of theology, what this ministry is all about, what your pastor is desiring for you, is not just to know things about God, but for us to say, 
Who is God? What is the truth that he has revealed? Who am I? What do I know about myself based on God's word? And most importantly, and this is what theology must be in the life of a Christian, understanding those things, how do I now live? And that is what I want you to take away from this discussion is how do I live balancing what I can't know about God, but also being responsible and diligently seeking what he has revealed to me. And it's all going to come down to our motivation for wanting to know. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, who have been redeemed by the blood that he shed on the cross, by the punishment that he suffered, and by the freedom that he has given us, we want to trust that there are unknowable things about God. But we also want to study and dig into his word to know the knowable things, ultimately and simply because we love God. And we want to know him. We want to know him as he's revealed himself through his plan of redemption in the Bible. We want to know our heavenly father who sent the savior to earth. We want to know that savior. We want to know Jesus Christ, his person, what he desires, what he did, and what he wants for us today. And we want to know the Holy Spirit. We want to know this person of the Godhead who was sent to seal us for our day of salvation and to sanctify us, which means to ultimately enable us to grow and mature and become more like Jesus Christ, to ultimately draw us to keep moving onward in our faith toward maturity in Christ. We want to know these three persons of the Godhead. And it's not just knowing about them. It's not a trivia thing. It's not putting them in a box. It's not being comfortable, but just knowing them out of love, encountering them through God's word, knowing how the truth of God impacts our lives, how we live according to him, how we relate to him. And knowing that we're going to struggle. We're going to encounter difficulty. We're going to encounter frustration, but that struggle is good. And I want to encourage you, if you sit there and you have struggled and wrestled with the reality of God's goodness, of how salvation is fair, of how God can exist in the way that he has revealed himself. If you've struggled with that, that's good. That's awesome. Because what does that mean? That means that you are a limited mind, a finite human being seeking You want answers. You know that there is truth and you want to ask those questions. You want to ask God, how can this be true of you? But what's going to matter is not, you know, feeling bad about questioning things, but instead, what do we do with those questions? Because we know that all questions have answers. But as we've talked, we don't want to just force answers to come. How can God be eternal? There is an answer. Because the reality is that God is eternal. God has no creation. No one made God. But just because there's an answer doesn't mean we're going to be able to understand how it's possible. Because again, we have no concept of eternity. We live in a universe that had a starting point. We as human beings have a starting point. Everything we know had a creation date. And so we just can't understand God because we cannot relate it to anything else that we understand in our experience. And so what do we do with those questions? We can trust that God is who he says he is, or we can do what many other religions do and try to give God some kind of a starting point. And so whenever we do that, whenever we have questions, we can either, well, ultimately we need to be driven into God's word. 
We need to go to other mature Christians who can answer things. We need to have good resources available to us that can help us get closer to understanding. But with certain questions, we are going to find answers and answers that we can understand. We can understand how salvation works, how we are spared, why Christ had to die on the cross. We can understand those things. They may be difficult to find the answer to, but we can understand why they are true. But then there are questions that we will study and we will try and we will realize that it is unknowable. And so when we force answers into those things that are unknowable or we force answers to get an answer that we like, as I said, especially with how God can allow evil or why God saves some and not others, we have answers to those. But if we force an answer to the point that we bring God down so that we're more comfortable with that answer, then we diminish who he is. And what we do is we craft a God in our own image, in our likeness. We craft a God that we are comfortable with, that we are okay serving us. Because that's what we do. The moment that we diminish God for our own comfort, we make God serve us. We say, God, I will only do these things. I will only trust you if you perform in this way, if you fit inside this box that I am okay with. And so what we end up with is... We will worship what we like, but we won't worship what is true because ultimately our pride will reduce God's majesty. And we do not want to be guilty of bringing God down and saying, God, you are not good enough as you are. I'm going to craft you into a God that I like, a God that I'm comfortable with, a God that I will worship. But the beautiful thing about this is that we're not on our own. We don't have to rely on our own intelligence or understanding to come to a point of understanding what we can know about God and what we can't know, because we do have a God who loves us, a God who is present, a God who is active, and he has told us what he will do for those of us who want that wisdom, who want that understanding, not in order to be in control, not to feel better because we, want, we don't like feeling unintelligent but for those who genuinely want to know their God so that they can love him more, so they can worship him more, even if there's things they're not comfortable with, even if there's things that in their pride, in their sinfulness, they acknowledge that they just don't like about God, that they are uncomfortable with, but they trust and know that it is true about him, whether they like it or not, then God has told us what he will do. In James 1.5, it says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So with all these questions that we have about God, with all these doubts, with all these struggles, if we let those questions drive us to seek God even more, he's not going to let that go to waste. He's not going to ignore us. He may not give us the answers that we're seeking. He's not just going to open up all truth to us. And he may not even answer us in ways that we like. I've talked in the past how we ask God things and we expect a very clear answer. And when we don't get that clear answer that we want or that we are demanding, then we think that God has ignored us. But instead, God will often answer us. He will give us wisdom. He will grow us slowly and in ways that we don't recognize, that we don't realize. And again, this is where trust comes from. We trust that God is who he says he is and that he is working in us, that he is giving us wisdom. We just don't know how. But through that, through our asking, through our seeking, we can trust that he'll give us the faith that we need by eventually, in his own perfect way, revealing those things that we can understand and giving us the faith 
by proving himself over and over again in our lives, giving us the faith to rest comfortably in trusting those things that we can't fathom or that at this moment we struggle to understand and to accept. So I want to end this with just one final reminder to just cap off this two-episode discussion. Remember that as you struggle with faith and understanding about your God, remember that God is good. God is holy. God is powerful. God is ultimate in every aspect of our lives. But above all, remember that God is God, and that is why we worship him. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.